this week on the Back Table Podcast. It's more of a, oh, clinic is something I have to do, which is trying to think of clinic as something that there's enjoyment in. And so if you think about it as like why we went into medicine and we saw medicine as something to help people. And guess what? I get to meet, you know, 30 to 40 people a day where I get to like talk to them and get to know about their life and and get to help them. Like if you think of it that way and you try to use that mindset as like this is my opportunity and and also trying to figure out ways to make your day smoother and more efficient, I think that can be really helpful and it just helps you change your perspective. And so I think it's really so much about mindset and thinking about like, okay, how can I change my perspective for it to be a more positive one? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Back Table Podcast, your source for all things urology. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and at backtable.com. This is Angie Smith as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Rena Malik from University of Maryland, Department of Urology. She's an associate professor and director of female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, and she wears many hats. She's beyond a surgeon. She's a wife, a mom, and a social media expert, so I'm Really excited to talk about the specific topic of growth mindset with her today. Welcome, Rena. Thanks so much for having me, Angie. And I'm so excited to be here with you on the Backtable Urology podcast. This is going to be a great conversation. Agreed. You know, when I was thinking about topics, growth mindset really came to front of mind, especially right now. And I figured we'd just jump into it with our audience and start with what is a growth mindset, because I'm sure some listeners know what that is and some may have not heard about it before. To you, what is growth mindset? So to me, growth mindset is just the belief that you can do something, that you can accomplish something that maybe you don't know how to do yet. Yeah, I I love that description. You know, I I noticed my six-year-old the other day, she said something to me and she's like, you know, I can't do that yet. And I love that phrase. I've adopted it. Sometimes we learn from our kids. But I, I really think that not yet philosophy is a really nice and easy way to consider what a growth mindset is. And and maybe you could share with us, you know, growth mindset's all around us, but certainly most of the listeners probably are in medicine and urology in particular. How do you think the growth mindset's relevant in our field and maybe even now more than ever? So there's so many ways I think that growth mindset applies to medicine, to surgery, to urology. One, we're educators, right? And so it's If we as educators feel like we don't know how to educate on a certain thing, that can really limit us from trying to actually get better at that activity. If I don't believe that I know how to interact with underrepresented minorities, for example, or how to sponsor them or promote them, and I don't take actions to actually try to learn how to do that better, then I'm not going to get better. And the same thing for any sort of surgical challenge that comes our way, being like, okay, I can still improve, even though I'm done with training, I can still get better and I can work on something and attain that specific skill over time. Yeah, I love that mindset. And I'll say even for myself, in any kind of job, especially in medicine, we want to continue enjoying what we do. And, and I think for a lot of us, it's you know some of the challenges, right? Like of tackling a challenge and then having that feeling of succeeding in either learning something new and 
And I think there's a common misconception in medicine, especially, you know, we go through all this training and we feel or we're maybe even taught to believe that that ends at the end of whatever it is, our residency or fellowship, but it doesn't have to end. And I think that's where growth mindset can have a really big role in addressing some things that you could improve upon. And certainly, at least for myself, there's always something to improve. Absolutely. And I think that the key is also, yeah, we want that success at the other side, but understanding that there's going to be failures along the way, right? That's part of the journey. And that's okay. Like, that's part of why we do things. We didn't learn how to, for example, do a cystectomy in, you know, in one day. It took time and challenge and certainly failures along the way. And that's just so integral to understand about ourselves so that we don't give up at the first sight of failure and we use it as a means to learn something. And so I think for me, for example, I find that when I'm taking on a new challenge, for a new surgical challenge, I'll be like, okay, this is something I've not done before, but I know that I have the skills to do the steps and I can learn and, you know, it's a, it's, I can have help. I can ask for help so that I can learn to do this better. Yeah, I really like that concept of asking for help. You know, there's, again, I think a misconception that that might be considered weak or frowned upon, you know, the further you go out from training. But I also think that if you have the mindset that everyone needs help at some point, and, you know, I think of it like a trainer, you know, you could go and exercise and you probably can do it on your own. But if you had a trainer with you, then you could probably get to the other side a lot faster, probably more efficiently in thinking through it in that way. And I think that leads into another topic that I wanted to speak about with you and share with our listeners, and that that is vulnerability. Because in my mind, when I think about growth mindset, I think that goes hand in hand with being vulnerable. And um, I read a recent article that, you know, vulnerability is the new superpower. And I loved that phrase because I think vulnerability and being honest that perhaps one doesn't know it all, right? And we really don't. But it's hard to it's hard to get into that space and being vulnerable. But I think it's probably really important in cultivating growth mindset. And I'm curious how you've cultivated that vulnerability space in your own life, either in medicine or otherwise. Yeah, I think being vulnerable is, first of all, it's a scary word, right? Like you hear the word vulnerable and you're like, I don't want to be there, right? But that's part of it. Like you grow in that discomfort and it's important to sit in it and to really learn from it. And I think that's how you use it in growth mindset because you can't grow without exposing yourself a little bit, right? Like when I, for example, started my YouTube channel, I, I was nervous about how I would be perceived or if it would be good or not good or if the way I spoke was good enough or would be perceived well. And I think that you have to be okay with that, but you also have to assess what you're doing and learn from it. So yes, it's good to be vulnerable. It's good to be okay being vulnerable. And so many people can learn from that. They can see your growth and they can say, oh, wow, if this person can do it, so can I. Or especially when we're training, right? It's important to say like, oh, I can make mistakes and that's okay. And I'm open to talking about them and learning. That's why we do M&M. But it's important to do that in every sort of aspect of your life. So I use it all the time. And, and I think try to after every case, I'll talk with my residents like, what could we have done better? What did we fail at and how can we improve? And then also in my personal life, like I'll think about routinely, I'll have time with myself to think about like, what am I doing 
And how can I improve this? How can I go above and beyond what I'm doing right now? But that requires me to assess my failures and my vulnerabilities. Yeah. And I think that is key is a couple points that you brought up is that one, the failures are inevitable. And in fact, they're necessary. It's just that we are successful individuals. I'd like to think, you know, we made it through medicine and here we are practicing. You know, failure is uncomfortable. Yet, if you can cultivate this understanding that it is a means to an end and actually a very important means to an end, because I think of it, you know, I'm a researcher, or at least that's one of the hats I wear. And I think about it like an experiment. There's some failures along the way that must happen so that we can learn, learn from them and, and move forward. So I like that idea of understanding that failure is supposed to be there because we often confuse ourselves to think that that's not supposed to happen. But it is. It is. And the second thing that I think you said that really resonates with me is the feeling of discomfort when it occurs and recognizing it. You know, that's something that I continue to improve upon, but something that I was not very good at years ago. I'm getting better. And now that when I feel that discomfort, and we all experience it different ways. Sometimes we, you know, feel it in our chest like an anxiety or there's just different ways that you experience it. But the important point is to know what the discomfort feels like, recognize it, and then actually move towards it sometimes. Sometimes when I feel that discomfort, I now have trained my mind to realize that that is a sign of potential growth. It's an opportunity rather than something I shy away from. And that doesn't come right away. I have had to practice that over years and I'm still practicing it now. It's not like I get that discomfort and I run straight forward into <laughs> into the discomfort, but I do now have a pause and a recognition that I'm on the right track and and you can see it everywhere in my life and you know I, I like that you gave several examples. I'll add another one of my own in that I remember when I was a junior faculty just starting out, I really felt like I needed to have all the answers. I felt that, you know, the residents were expecting me to be confident. And I confused the fact that confidence meant not feeling uncomfortable. And I don't think that's true. Confidence is something that comes over with over time. And in fact, I would argue that true confidence comes with vulnerability, the ability to say, I actually was really scared with that case. I was really nervous coming into it. And so I do exactly what you do is I share that openly. And it was so fascinating because when I started to do that, my evaluations actually improved with my trainees. And I even got feedback that that kind of conversation was actually more, perhaps more valuable than teaching within the case itself. So I would, yeah, I definitely encourage anyone listening to give that a try if you haven't yet. And so I, I really appreciate, Rena, your views in that area because I think it's really important. So I want to shift gears a little bit because, again, everyone's on a different path along their own journey toward growth mindset or towards that space of vulnerability, I was wondering, you know, have you always had that growth mindset? Was there a point in time where you didn't have it? And if not, how have you developed it over time? Yeah, absolutely not. So I tell this story a lot because it's it's so true and it, it shows my fixed mindset. And I, I think before I get into that, I want to say that it's not an all or nothing thing. Like I have growth mindset about a lot of things, but I still catch myself having limiting beliefs about what I'm capable of doing. And then I have to kind of reassess about, okay, I maybe I can't do that, or maybe I don't want to, or maybe I just can't do it yet, or maybe it's giving me anxiety and that's why I'm not pursuing it. But I think that's a key to kind of look at and understand. 
But for me personally, like when I was deciding about surgery, I I always was very fixed. I think as a younger person, this is what I can do. This is what I'm not good at. This is what I'm good at. And that kind of takes you on your trajectory to what you think you're good at. And so when I was deciding about medicine, about going into surgery or medicine, I said, no, I can't be a surgeon. Like, I'm not I'm not a surgeon. Like, I could never be a surgeon. And my husband looked at me and he's like, training is there for a reason. You can be whatever you want to be. You know, and that was actually the reason I decided to go for it, because he's like, look, this is silly. The reason you're thinking this, like, why do we have training? It's to learn how to do something. And so that's when it clicked for me that, oh, I can do this. I just have to work at it. So I think it slowly grew over time. Certainly as I've matured, I've understood more and more about growth mindset. I have fortunately a great spouse who's really into this sort of personal growth stuff. And we read a lot about it. So if I recommend to all the listeners to read Carol Dweck's book on mindset or even just watch her YouTube talk. It's great. I think it's super informative and gives great examples and really tells you, helps you realize that everyone can have a growth mindset and how valuable it is for your career, your personal life, and every aspect and facet of your life. Yeah, I could not agree more with your sentiments. I also am fortunate to have a spouse who's interested as well. But you don't have to have that. I think that, you know, you can find individuals who are interested in this all around. And even if you don't, I think there are opportunities to just have a conversation with somebody about it and take it from there. So, Rena, we talked about the benefits of a growth mindset, and there's certainly many of those. Do you have any tips or tricks in developing a growth mindset? Because you had mentioned, you know, it's it's definitely been a journey where we're going from fixed to growth mindset in a variety of ways. Anything that you have found useful in sort of that getting over those barriers to making that shift? Yeah, so I think there's several that I've used in my life. One of them I learned from you, which was kind of bullet journaling. And I think that that's actually a time for me when I sit down every week and every month and think about what my goals are in a in a longer term. And then every so often I do like a, you know, yearly or long term plan kind of thoughts about what my goals are. And then I think about what's limiting me, like, why am I not achieving those things? And you really, as you said earlier, have to kind of sit in that discomfort about why is this making me feel anxious or why am I getting that feeling in my chest when I think about this? Like what's holding me back? What do I think I don't have to get there and how can I get there? So I think just having that time to reflect has helped. And then also when I find myself saying something like I can't do this or I don't, I'm not good at this, I have to kind of add that little yet, right? Just like you said your daughter used, like I can't, I'm not a runner yet, but like I can do it. It's all about priorities. So I think learning to talk to yourself in that way about like, this is something that I can do if I want to do. And I just have to take the time, whether it's half an hour once a week or half an hour once a month to just think about my priorities and like, what do I really want and why am I not doing it? And it could be like something so esoteric, like I want to learn how to sing. Like, why haven't I ever done that? Right. Or it could be something like I want to publish in JAMA or whatever it is, right? Like, what can I do to get a study that's that impactful? Like, what are what are the steps I need? What are my ideas? How can I make that happen? Yeah, I think what you spoke about here is really time for yourself. And, you know, I feel like the culture of medicine leads us to believe that it's selfish to have time for ourselves. And you and I know each other well. And, you know, it's not true, quite frankly. You know, it's not selfish to have self-care and to have this time, dedicated time to reflect. In fact, I often feel like it's a very giving type of activity because 
at least for me, and I think it's true of most people, when you have time for yourself, you end up becoming a better version of yourself. And guess what? Everyone benefits from that. I know I'm a better, I'm a better teacher. I'm a better surgeon. I am a better mom. I'm a better, all of the, again, the hats that I wear, I'm just better when I am feeling well about myself. And that takes time. And so I like that trick. You know, we talked about bullet journaling and, you know, it's nothing that I invented in any way. It's just, you know, it's just something that's helped me. And and I think even if it's not a bullet journal, just journaling in general can be very helpful. Everyone listening to this podcast, you're intelligent, you know, and, and actually it's the most intelligent people who think a mile a minute and we can't outrun our thoughts. That's the thing. And when you put pen to paper, it actually disentangles a lot of thoughts that we have that can lead to a fixed mindset. And I don't know, Rena, if you've read this book, but um, I recently read the book Chatter. And if you haven't, it's a great book. But it's all about what we tell ourselves, you know, what we think of ourselves. Everyone has some kind of internal chatter. It's actually just part of human nature. But in that chatter, thinking about how often we speak negatively about ourselves, you know. So if I make a mistake, I might say, Angie's stupid. Well, is that helpful? (laughs) Is that something that is propelling me forward? Probably not. And so being aware of that either through journaling, but also just being aware of that through practice, right? Practicing something different. Like you said, I can't do that yet. You know, you practice it enough, it becomes part of your vocabulary. And likewise, the way we think about ourselves, I wouldn't say some of the things I say to myself to a trainee. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say it to one of my kids. And so trying to put myself in someone else's shoes and speaking to myself with compassion and understanding, I always thought that was like, you know, (laughs) woo-woo, like, is that really going to be helpful? But it is, quite frankly. It's created a lot of happiness in my life. And so that's why I I love to share it. So I appreciate that. I think it's always helpful to have really tangible examples. And you've given a couple during this podcast, but I, I was hoping you might give a few other examples because those listening, they might be people who spend a lot of time in clinic or maybe they're teachers, maybe they do research um, or have other academic pursuits. Maybe let's start in the clinic. I mean, we probably all spend some time in the clinic. Give us some examples of some things that you've accomplished through growth mindset in the clinic that you feel have served you well. Yeah, I think that clinic can be a real challenge for most surgeons, right? We love to be in the operating room and being in clinic can feel exhausting. It can feel like every time you see a patient, you're giving a piece of yourself to them because there's a lot of emotions and a lot of challenge and so you're you're really kind of sometimes by the end of the day very emotionally drained, right? And so I think it's more of a clinic as something I have to do, which is trying to think of clinic as something that there's enjoyment in. And so if you think about it as like why we went into medicine and we saw medicine as something to help people. And guess what? I get to meet 30 to 40 people a day where I get to like talk to them and get to know about their life and get to help them. Like if you think of it that way, and you try to use that mindset as like, this is my opportunity. And also, like you and I are both really into this, but trying to figure out ways to make your day smoother and more efficient. I think that can be really helpful. And it just helps you change your perspective. And so I think it's really, it's so much about mindset and thinking about like, okay, how can I change my perspective for it to be a more positive one? Yeah, I think that is exactly right. And really what you're describing is the fact that in many ways, a growth mindset equals a solutions-focused mindset. 
in which, you know, you believe that there's something that's going to get you to a place where you want to be. And I, I started with the clinic on purpose because I do think that's where many, if not most people, including myself, find challenges. And speaking for myself, I think it was hard at some times to get to that place where you were saying, you know, like remembering the joy in the medicine, like I get to, I don't have to, I get to do this. You know, what a privilege I have. But sometimes you're just not in the space <laughs> to believe that at that moment. But I do think there are ways that, you know, you can kind of get yourself back into it. And I think part of it is an awareness of what brings you joy. And I was just talking to someone the other day in this very topic of like, how do you cultivate that joy again? You know, being in the clinic. And I had lost that. I'll be honest with you. Several years ago, I lost it. And I found myself almost resentful. Um, and I'll be, again, spirit of vulnerability. I was like resenting some patients. I was resenting people I worked with. Maybe I was thinking, oh, I'm working more or I'm doing this. And anyway, I, I really investigated it. I was aware of that emotion. And I'm like, what, why is that coming from? And I got really back to the foundation of like what really brings me joy. And I realized part of it was hearing about patients' stories. I just really like that. And that may be true for you. I don't know. But figure out what that is. For me, that's what it was. And I realized I had increased my template by a few patients and it was just enough to eliminate the extra time I had to ask about someone's family. Or, you know, I always joke around urology is the family medicine of surgery because you really get to know them over a course of time. And, and I missed that. I really did. And so I took the opportunity to take the template back to what it was. And guess what? My joy came back. And I think having the growth mindset, like I am capable of getting that back and then partnering that with an awareness of what is that thing that creates the joy in your work or at home and then figuring out a way to get it back. So I think you're exactly right. Like you want to get to that, but there's also that piece of it that's about awareness in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said like, you know, I asked to reduce my template. And, you know, I think that we feel so resistant to asking for what we need. And we're worried like, oh, what's going to happen? But I'm sure when you asked, like it was like, okay, yeah, sure. Right. It was, that's okay. And sometimes if someone says no, well, then you have to say like, is this the kind of workplace I want to be in? Right. Is this the kind of like, if it's not bringing me joy anymore and it might lead to burnout or other issues down the road, then can I continue at this pace? Like I can't be not joyful for years. So I think you have to really take that time and I love that you said that you were struggling because I think we've all been there. I definitely have felt that. And there's days where I'm like, oh, this clinic is going to be rough. And it's a spectrum. We don't always feel great and joyful. Like, yeah, we're talking about this because we try to bring more joy in our life. But it doesn't mean that we're always going to be super joyful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's ups and downs. And I mean, life would be, I always say to my kids too, you know, life would be pretty boring if we were absolutely, completely happy all the time. We need to know what it feels like not to be happy sometimes so that we really appreciate those moments when we are. And so it's okay to have those moments. It's just you need to recognize, I think, when those moments are really exceeding, well exceeding the joyful and the happy moments. And again, being aware of when that's happening. Sometimes we're fortunate to have partners who might recognize it in ourselves. And maybe we just, we need to recognize it ourselves as well. And so... 
you know, I was thinking also some tangible things, even more than just loving coming to work, because I think that's, you know, to me, that's number one. (laughs) And so I'm glad you started with that. I also think about other just, you know, other things, you know, Rena and I, we love organization and, you know, efficiency and so forth. So you'll have to bear with me for a minute because I want to bring that in. But I want to give an example of where it applies to efficiency, too. You know, I knew that, you know, I don't like writing my notes at night. Okay, I mean, I guess who does really? (laughs) No one probably likes it, but I really didn't like it. And I knew I wanted to change it. And it's interesting because when I've talked to people about it, probably the most common thing that I'm told is like, that's not possible. You know, and that's, that is, it's a fixed mindset right there to say it's not possible. You know, I think that, you know, the growth mindset is that it is possible and I need to figure out the way in which I can accomplish it. And I took that little piece and I figured it out, but it didn't come overnight. I listened to other people. I tried different things. It was a lot of like micro experimentation and What I realized eventually was it was a few things that were necessary for me. The first thing that helped me a lot was pre-charting. And I had sworn pre-charting is a waste of time. Like I had said that in the past. I was like, oh, it's not going to be helpful. But I hadn't really tried it. And so I implemented that. And I really put a timer on it. So I did it between cases on my OR day. So I would do it on my clinical day. And then when I get to clinic, I noticed a few things. And again, this requires paying attention. But I I noticed one, I was less anxious when I was seeing my patients because I knew what was going on right before I went into the room. Number two, it made my conversations with patients way faster. And three, the patients loved it because they recognized, in fact, I would say it, I'd say, hey, I was, you know, reading your chart a couple days ago. And they were like, you were? I've never heard of a doctor doing that. I'm like, oh my gosh, so many doctors do that. But again, I just verbalized that. And it allowed us to get to the solution for whatever clinic issue they were coming much faster. So I was getting through my clinic faster. And because my notes were almost half done, I was able to sign them usually in the room. And then I was done at four. And I still to this day, I'm done at four. And so again, adopting the growth mindset for what I wanted, which was not doing charts at night, was really effective for me. I don't know, Rena, if you have any other examples of those, because I know everyone's always looking for some tricks in the clinic. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm exactly like you. I hate charting at home. Like it's just something I really dislike strongly. And so I actually can only count on one hand. I think twice I've charted at home since I started as an attending because I just really dislike it so much. So what I do is for my new patients, I have a very detailed intake form that I created that literally asks everything. And when I started, I created epic dot phrase that mirrored that exactly. So I literally, as I'm talking to the patient, can type that in And so it's basically done, right? All I have to do is type in the exam and the assessment and plan. And of course, dot phrases are super helpful for that as well. And so I don't pre-chart because I do get like a handful of no-shows. So I find it at least like not useful for that. But I have also for my follow-ups, I just copy forward the last note and then put a new date and then write the next thing. So I always see what's happening the last time I saw them and it's all right there. So those are the things I do in clinic. And then after clinic, I'll chart for a little bit. But then if I have a couple notes left over, I'll just wake up early the next day or do it before cases the next day in the morning because I'm more fresh. I'm not as exhausted. And I've written enough in the chart that I know exactly what I wanted to do. Like I put in the orders so I know what I was going to do. And so it's not like I have to remember too much, but it's so much faster than if I did it at night when I was tired. 
So those are the things I do. And then the other thing I want to give a shout out to David Cans, who's been posting these epic tips on his Twitter, which are so helpful, like ways to just optimize use of Epic. And I think it's valuable, even if you don't use Epic, to spend some time learning some tricks to make your day and your clinic day faster and more efficient. I love it. You know, I could make a whole podcast or two or three <laughs> on these types of tips, but I really appreciate you sharing it because I think these types of tips and, you know, thinking through efficiency, it all comes down to having the belief that you can make a change, that it is in your power, and that comes to growth mindset. And, you know, and I also equate it with creativity, is just thinking that you could have a different thought. I mean, just what you said, Rena, I hadn't even considered that. I love that idea, having the intake form completely mirror your visit so that you're practically done in a lot of the questions you would ask them already been answered. So again, lots of different ways to accomplish the same goal. You just have to figure out what it is for you and believe it's possible and and don't give up with the failures, right? Like, because you're going to probably try a few things. They probably won't work. And that's okay. You've learned something from that. So it was actually very valuable to fail. Now you're going to try something new based upon what you learned in that failure. So I really love it. I wanted to also ask, and this is a little bit shifting gears, but We work with a lot of people, right? We have big teams, no matter where you work. And I was curious how you handle any colleagues or other staff who seem to have more of a fixed mindset. How does that affect you? And how do you sort of go about that? Yeah, so I think it depends on the person. But if they're kind of an open person, I will just ask them a question. Like if they say, oh, I'm not like, I can't do that. And I'm like, oh, why do you think that? Or you could do that. Sure, you could if you wanted to. Like I just kind of question them and I let them take it for what they will, right? Like, yeah, of course you you can if you want to. And if they delve deeper, I can be like, okay, well, let's come up with a plan for you to be able to do that. Like, what's something that you can do in the next week or in the next month that can help you achieve that goal? And then they're like, oh, you know, it's baby steps. And so I think it's really, you can pose a question and then just see how they respond to it. And sometimes you won't get through and that's okay. But I think it's nice to be able to, share that with other people because it's just transformative. Absolutely. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I used to struggle with this, you know, because I I was just like, oh my gosh, like just think differently. But it's not it's not so simple. And it's also their life. They can choose the way they want to think. And at this point, I, I do exactly what you do is is just I come from a genuine place of curiosity. That's probably the best way to describe it. It's not a place of judgment. And I think I used to be there. Now I'm just curious, how do you mean or what, what do you think what keeps you from doing this? Or just even asking, do you think that's absolutely true? You know, I think there's a lot of different ways and, you know, I, and I use a lot of those techniques over myself and I still do. There's Byron Katie's work, which asks a few questions, you know, to kind of disentangle our fixed beliefs. Like, is it true? And then if you say yes, is it 100% true? And it's usually no, because you probably figure out one exception to whatever rule you're making. And then basically, who would you be if you didn't have that thought? Because I think it's a really powerful question. You know, who would you be if you didn't think that was something out of your reach? And usually the answer is like, wow, you know, I'd be exactly who I wanted to be. And then doing turnarounds, like what if it was the opposite of what I was saying and finding examples in your life where that opposite has actually occurred. And usually you can find at least a few And that just like opens the door. Doesn't mean it opens, it flings the door open, but it just like cracks the door open. And that's all you need, I think, to start that growth mindset is just that little crack in the door to believe that 
something can be different than what you have believed it to be in the past. And that's human nature. You know, we take our past experience and also, I will say, the stories that are told to us, especially in the culture of medicine. I don't know what you think, Marina, but, you know, I think a lot about this in call is how interesting it is. Even when I was a med student, I remember being excited about call because I just at the very beginning, right at the very beginning, thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to stay the night and, you know, what's going to happen? And very quickly, very quickly, I learned that you're supposed to hate call. (laughs) Like, you know, everybody says call is terrible. And then I learned that and I kept that with me for a very long time until recently. And I was like, you know what? I don't like disliking call so much. And so I, my residents know I decided to marry a few things that I do enjoy so I can actually enjoy call. So I, I enjoy reading books and sometimes like a really juicy fiction book. <laughs> and I just get a book when I'm on call and it lives in my car and I get to read it when I get called in, you know, when I'm waiting for cases or whatever. And it's totally changed my mindset on call, how simple but true. So I don't know about you, Rena, if you have any examples of stories in medicine where it has created a fixed mindset you've had to overcome to create that growth mindset. I mean, call's a great example. I love that. I think that for me, at least for the call thing, it's like shifting your mindset. Like, I'm going to go save someone's life, right? I'm putting a stent in them and I'm probably going to save their life today, right? Or I'm going to save this testicle. Like those are the kinds of things that we get to do on call. So that's really like, if you think of it that way, it's like, okay, I got to drive in and take care of this thing and like save a person's life. That's why we went into medicine. I think as far as other things in medicine, like stories we tell ourselves, I mean, we've touched on a lot of them. Like as surgeons, we don't like clinic. You know, we don't, who wants to be on call? And like, I think in general, it's just We see a lot of people around us who are unhappy or burnt out. Should we be feeling that way? Or I don't know. I think that there's some people who like just generally are like, oh, looking for ways to to get out of medicine or they're unhappy. And I think that I think no one ever tries to improve their current situation, right? Like, oh, I can't, as we've talked about earlier, I can't change my template or I can't do the cases I want to do or whatever. But I think it takes a little bit of no, this is what I want and this is how I'm going to get it. And these are the steps I'm going to take to make my current job the way that will bring me joy and make me happy. So I think that's like liking medicine should be okay. I think enjoying our jobs should be normal and should be a great thing. And I think we just hear a lot about burnout and hear a lot of our colleagues talking about it, but that's not the norm. and It shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. It shouldn't be, but it often unfortunately is we can make that change and we shouldn't feel guilty for feeling good about our jobs. In fact, if you're feeling good about your job, you're a role model. And I would would see yourself that way. I know you and I both think about this, we call it a thought model. It's actually drawn from cognitive behavioral therapy, but you know, it's it's very approachable to lay individuals like I would say we're lay in terms of psychology, (laughs) lay individuals like ourselves. But that is that each of us have a thought about our experience. And it's so interesting because we have these thoughts and we think them so much that we think it's a fact, but it's not. It's a thought about a fact. And then whatever we're thinking creates a feeling and whatever we're feeling creates an action that we take from that feeling. And in the end, every action we take creates our experience, right? And that experience might be burnout or that experience might be joy at work. And the good news is you can decide what that experience is going to be 
because it all derives from the way you think about your situation. And I think that truly is the growth mindset because the growth mindset, it all starts with a thought. And it's not easy to change your thinking, but it is possible. And with more time and practice, just like you practice a cystectomy, you get better. And, you know, we do that so much in surgery and that's important. You know, that is a skill and we want to be a really good surgeon. But I would say equally important is working on our minds and the way that we think about our experience, because in the end, it's your life. You know, how do you want to feel about it? You have control over that. So do you want to put a little time and effort and reflection or do you want to continue living the experience you have and be unhappy? I mean, that is a choice that we all make individually. Even if it feels like there's no choice to be made, it's still there. You just have to look for it. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. And I think we've touched on it over and over again, but this is a process. It's not going to be overnight mind shift. It takes time. I still have many limiting beliefs and many things that hold me back and I have to work on them. And so it takes time and practice, but everyone's capable of shifting their mindset and living a more happy and wonderful life. Absolutely. So I know our time is coming down to the wire here. And I wanted to ask you, Rena, if there was one piece of advice you'd offer to listeners who want to develop or cultivate that growth mindset, what would it be? What should they start with? So I think this is a limiting belief that I think a lot of people hold, and I've held it for so long. It's that you're the star of your own movie, but you're not the star of anyone else's movie. Like no one's looking at you or thinking about you or what you're doing or watching you like you're the star of a movie. And I think once you realize that, you're like, oh, like this is me. Like I can I can do this. And if I fail or make a mistake, like no one's critically watching me like that. And it's always like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I always think that before I do something like, am I going to be ill? Am I going to lose my job? Am I like, those are the things like that are serious. You don't want to, you don't want to risk, but small things like a little bit of embarrassment or you fumble on stage or whatever it is, like those are small things and you'll, you'll come back from it and you'll become stronger because of it. I love that piece of advice. I'm actually going to take that and put it in my own pocket because I am <laughs> guilty of that too. And I, I think that's a really great way to frame it. So I am going to steal that and apply it in my life too. So thank you for that. So I always think it's helpful to have a little summary. So I'll just summarize some of the things that we talked about today in terms of a growth mindset in medicine. And, you know, I think we started with that thought process of, you know, we have these statements to ourselves and Sometimes it's good to figure out a way to say it differently, to cultivate or at least, again, crack that door open to the possibility. So, you know, I can't do this yet. And just having that idea that we are supposed to fail and through the failures is where we actually learn about ourselves and where we grow and where we become our best selves. And we talked a little bit about vulnerability and how vulnerability is, is almost a necessary ingredient in the growth mindset, because when you're vulnerable, you're willing to make the mistakes. In fact, you almost are hoping for some so that you can get to the other side in terms of the outcome that you're looking for. And we went through some tips and tricks, and I won't go through all of them, but you know, I think maybe it boils down to being creative, being aware of where you want to improve your life, what experience that might look like. It might be something on call, it might be something in the clinic, but whatever it is, being aware and then being willing to experiment, fail, and then succeed in whatever you want to have your outcome be and, and believing that's possible. So 
I think it really boils down to having that growth mindset transition to a solutions-focused mindset, whether it's in the clinic or research or teaching or whatever you do in your academic or in your clinical pursuits. So I hope that's a good summary for our listeners. And I really want to thank you, Rena, for being with us today. I knew you would be a wonderful guest and you've provided such great insight for our listeners. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. And I also want to thank Backtable Urology for allowing me to guest host today. And of course, last but certainly not least to our listeners, we so appreciate you tuning in today and we look forward to hearing what you are doing to cultivate a growth mindset. So thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at underscore Backtable on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable is hosted by Aditya Bagrodia and Jose Silva. Our audio team lead is Kieran Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhorter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Ishan Sangwan and Vidavi Patwardhan. Social media and PR by Chi Ding. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.